0: The following content is suited for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Welcome to another episode of Infertile Millennial. Today we have special guest Olivia who is going to be talking about her journey with ectopic pregnancy. She's also going to update us on where she's at now. And most importantly, she's going to be discussing on how it's important to become your own advocate during your fertility journey. So before we get into Olivia's interview, I actually did want to touch base on being your own advocate on your fertility journey. I think it's something that we don't ultimately realize that we have to do when we first start. It's something that we end up sort of learning along the way. So if you're new to your fertility journey, hopefully this episode will kind of get you ahead of the process and teach you a few ways on how to become your own advocate. So how exactly does one be Become the best advocate for themselves. So number one, it is a mix of listening to your intuition and educating yourself about your body. We are all very connected to our bodies especially when you're going through fertility treatments you become so in tune and connected with your body that it is easy to pick up on things especially when maybe something might not be going right and you're feeling like i don't know something's wrong we got to take a look at this but some of us aren't as good as connecting to our intuition and trusting our gut and we get lost on whether am i feeling like this is my intuition or am i feeling like this is just fear creeping in and making me second guess myself. So I want to share a few ways with you guys on how to connect with your intuition if you are somebody who's not as great at detecting if it's your gut or if it's fear telling you. So a few ways that you can get a little bit more in touch with your intuition is to meditate daily. This doesn't necessarily mean that you have to meditate for 20 minutes to an hour. This could just be meditating daily for like two to three minutes, getting connected with your body, sitting alone, connecting with your breath, feeling every breath leave your body and enter your body, and having that moment of solitude for yourself. That's a really great way to start getting connected to your body. Another way that's really great to get connected to your body is to practice mindfulness. So a great start at practicing mindfulness is to, again, sit in stillness. You can set a timer and just notice every feeling and sound that you hear from your body. Do you hear the sound of your tummy rumbling during digestion? Do you hear your breath coming out? Where do you feel your breath coming out? Do you feel an itch on your body? And the more we get connected in the feelings of our bodies on a day-to-day life, the better it is to get connected to when you feel like something just isn't right. So along with that, is educating yourself about your body. And again, meditating and mindfulness are great ways to educate yourself about your body. But another really great way to educate yourself about your body is to really figure out, you know, how does my cycle work? What do I feel before my cycle starts? What do I feel after my cycle starts? Keeping track of your cycle, keeping track of the pains and the the symptoms that you have Keeping track of how you feel on a normal day-to-day basis. How do I feel when I eat this food? How do I feel when I drink this much water? How do I feel when I don't get enough water? Everything like that. And when you keep a record of everything you're feeling, you'll start to really get a grip on how exactly my body works and what's happening. I know for me, for the longest time, I didn't really even understand how ovulation worked until I started trying to have a baby. And at this point, after doing multiple rounds of IVF and years of infertility, I can now tell you exactly which side I'm ovulating. I can tell you what day of my cycle I'm on without looking at a calendar. I'm very in tune with my body. So if something wasn't up, I would know right away. So it's a lot of practice if you're not already in touch with your intuition, but it's definitely not something that somebody would never be able to do. It is within the realm of possibility to teach yourself how to be more intuitive and in touch with your body. And in turn, that will help you trust yourself and know when something's wrong. And when you feel like something is wrong, don't fight it. Trust it, ask questions, and keep pushing until you get the answer that you feel okay with. One thing I've learned along this journey is that it is okay to be the squeaky wheel to your doctor, to be the annoying one because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, And the more you question things the more your doctor is going to look into things but that takes us to our next thing on being your own advocate is finding the right doctor to begin with so first of all again you really want to educate yourself on the doctor that you're seeing and a great way to do that is to read other people's testimonies Find out if there are people around you in your area who have gone to that doctor and hear their specific experience because, of course, doctors are going to put good testimonies on their pages, but you really do want to, like, talk with someone who's been there or read a testimony somewhere else that hopefully isn't overly biased by any means. And then, of course, building a relationship with the doctor that you choose. So once you find the right doctor, the next... of advice is to ask as many questions as possible you can never be too educated about your journey this is your journey this is your life this is your body ask questions before you go into appointments make a list of questions before you go into that appointment because number one my husband and i when we first started we never did that we obviously would ask the normal questions that you would ask and then we would leave the appointment and we would be like man i really wish we would have wrote down every question we had because number one getting an appointment with a doctor is kind of hard and number two it's expensive so write down all the questions that you can think of for your doctor and ask them make sure you get a clear and honest answer before moving on to the next one and ask as many questions as possible Throughout your journey. And what this is going to do is help you build a relationship with your doctor, and hopefully, you feel like you have great conversation with them, they understand you, you understand them, and you like what you're hearing. On the other hand, if you find a doctor who you think you'll like and you start asking questions, but you feel like you're not really creating that relationship that you want, or you feel like you're not being treated the way you should be treated, it's also okay to quit your doctor. You are allowed to walk away and find somebody else, and that's a really great way to, again, be your own advocate. If you feel like you're not being listened to or heard or blown off, Quit your doctor, find somebody else who works for you because ultimately at the end of the day, again, this is your journey and you are fighting for your future, your body, your baby. And if you feel like someone isn't listening to you or you have concerns that aren't being listened to and it just keeps happening again and again, it is okay to start and find somebody else and find somebody better. So those are all some tips of advice on being your own advocate. My last tip of advice on being your own advocate is to find a community or a support group who are also going through a similar thing that you are. Whether that is an infertility group, whether that is a trying to conceive group, whether that is an IVF treatment group, whatever it is, find a group of people who know what you're going through and understand what you're feeling. One reason why this helps you to become your own advocate is because if you are questioning things about your body and you don't feel like you're being heard by your doctor, it is sometimes a good idea to just kind of, you know, put a question out in a group and say, hey guys. I'm noticing this about my journey, I don't know if I like it, is this normal? Because sometimes even though we really wanna trust our intuition, we still have that little bit of fear going into different fertility treatments. So it's good to kind of get another opinion from someone not necessarily to take their advice because obviously you should never take the advice from somebody who is not a doctor take everything i say with a grain of salt of course i'm not a medical professional by any means but it is good sometimes to at least talk about what it is you're concerned about because Somebody in that group might bring up a really great question for you to ask your doctor or come up with a way of here's how you should word it to your doctor and maybe they'll understand better. It's just a great way for you to get ideas on how to ask for help from a medical professional, especially when you're not feeling like you're being heard. Or if you were to bring up something in a group that you never brought up to your doctor and didn't realize you should bring it up to your doctor, it might be a really great way to get more advice or opinions on how to talk to your doctor and what to say when you become part of a community or support group. But also becoming a part of a support group or an online community helps you gain a little bit more confidence. You may find a supportive page that makes you feel a little bit more seen and heard, and that alone can just help boost your confidence to become your own advocate and speak up when you feel like there's a problem. So hopefully these tips have helped you guys out there, and without any further ado, please welcome our special guest, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Thank you so much for sitting down today and sharing your journey with ectopic pregnancy and fertility treatments. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah, so I
1: am, you know, 30 years old. I grew up in a small town in Tennessee, moved and met my husband when I moved to the city for grad school mostly my fun fact about myself is that I used to work for the Cubs A affiliate in um, Tennessee which is the baseball team and I was the MC for the team um, so like I did all the between inning games with the kids and all that sort of fun stuff kind of in my summers where I left so that's just you know some of the things that I enjoy doing
0: yeah that's fun So why don't you tell us about you and your partner and kind of like when you guys got married, when you started maybe trying or maybe like trying or not preventing kind of a situation?
1: Yeah. So we actually are a COVID couple. Our wedding was April 5th of 2020. So like right at the height of the pandemic. Honestly, we began trying in January of 2020 um, because we just had heard people saying it takes a long time. Um, I had to come off of birth control about a year before, so it was just, that's when we started tracking, um, well, I started tracking just to kind of see how things were going, and I was like, yeah, if we fall pregnant in, like, the four months before the wedding, no big deal, like, I can hide that still in a wedding dress. Little did we know that our wedding would get postponed again. We had, like, a little ceremony in April. It was, like, everybody socially distanced and and, like, kind of on Skype and we were able to do that and then we had our reception in July which is when we had stopped trying um, but found out we were pregnant so when exactly did you find out that you were pregnant so I found out July 23rd 2020 the day before our wedding reception like that night
0: oh wow so that must have been you probably had like a lot of emotions running through your head finding out the night before such a big day for you Yeah,
1: it was crazy. So I told my, well, I told my mother-in-law because we lived with them at the time. I knew kind of immediately that something was wrong, Um, as like weird as that may sound, but just based on the timing of like cycles and everything, like I shouldn't have known I was pregnant that early. So I would have had to have been pregnant the month before, so in June, um, and I just didn't know it. Uh, So it was kind of crazy. And of course, like when you find out you're pregnant, how to respond. and you learn, oh well I can't drink and enjoy myself and everyone else was. You're like, Oh man, we're paying for an open
0: bar and I don't even get to use it. Oh, so so did you did you tell anyone besides your mother in law or did so did you try to either like tell everybody or did you have to sort of somehow get around the fact that you weren't drinking and not let anybody know that you were pregnant?
1: Yeah, so I told um my maid of honor, um, and she kinda like helped me. We did like Sprite and Grenadine and little sneaky things like that, so it would, look like I was drinking or I would like be handed a drink and I would just set it down um, and like walk away and forget it. So like we wasted a ton of alcohol, but you know, it is what it is. um, And it fooled everyone. It's like nobody really caught on. And then afterwards when they found out all that was happening, they're like, oh, well, that makes a little bit more
0: sense. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned that you wanted to go get blood work done after you after your reception. So uh, how soon, or I'm sorry, can you tell us about getting your blood work done for the first time?
1: Yeah. So I actually called my um, primary like OBGYN um, the morning of our reception because I had some like breakthrough bleeding. And like I had said, I just felt like something was wrong. So they're like, oh, you can come in today. And I was like, well, I'm getting um, married again today. So can't do that so they actually scheduled it for the following day which was our wedding reception was on a Friday night um so we got up Saturday morning for that and I just went and they had scheduled for it and I got my blood drawn then and then they scheduled us for an ultrasound like later in the week I think it was like a Thursday
0: so what happened during that first blood work appointment did you find out right away anything from that or did it take a couple days
1: it took, it took a couple of days. So like I knew the number was like in 200, it was 230 at that time. And actually like we were able to go in for an ultrasound. It was Tuesday, not Thursday. So we went in for the ultrasound that Tuesday. My husband was thankfully able to be with me and the ultrasound tech couldn't find anything. Um, and so our, the, Obi on call just said, you know, maybe it's earlier than we're thinking. Um, We'll order another blood work. Your level was 200, which, you know, was fine for your first blood draw. So they ordered another one. So I just went downstairs and had the second blood draw. Um, And that's kind of when everything started to just kind of get out of hand.
0: What were they starting to think at that point? So she
1: originally at that appointment with the ultrasound just thought that it was too early um, to see anything on the scan. But I just, like, I know a lot of people who have been pregnant, who have had babies, and I know that normally there's, like, a sack of, or, like, you can you can tell that something's about to form, and we just didn't see that on ours. And so she was like, or maybe it was just a really early loss. So she was very undecided. So it was either too early or just an early, like, chemical miscarriage.
0: So you mentioned in um, our conversation Earlier, that they also were considering that maybe you had an ectopic, or was this, or is that later on in your blood draws that they discovered that?
1: So that was after the second blood draw. So my first number was a 230 and it went up to 246. And based on that, she called me and she left me a voicemail and she just said, You know, your number didn't double like it should have, it should have been like 460. Um, it's only rose a little bit. She goes, it could be slow rising, but it looks like it is most likely in a topic. And so that was on my voicemail. And I remember I listened to it. I called her back and I was like, okay, um, so what does that mean? And she just kind of told me, she's like, you know, it could be in a topic and we'll just, you know, give you a medication to force you to miscarry. Sometimes it requires surgery, We just don't really know, or it might not be in a topic. And My husband was actually on a work call, so I wasn't able to confide in him, and I'm just crying, and he's just looking over, and he's just, he didn't know what to do, and so I go and find my mother-in-law, and I confided in her, and I just said, they're thinking it's an atopic pregnancy. I don't really know exactly what that means, but I've heard that that can be deadly, so I'm just, like, falling, and at the same time, like, my sister-in-law was pregnant with her fourth, and we knew it, and I'm just, like, thinking there's no way, like, this would have been so exciting. Like, why is it happening to me? And like, am I going to die?
0: Yeah, that must have been really difficult to deal with on top of also not being like, 100% sure that that was going on. But that's what they assumed. So I feel like that must have been really confusing for you. Oh, it was very
1: confusing. Um, because we had another appointment with her to follow up because once she told me it was a topic i called her back and i talked to her again about like our options and she changed her mind and she was like oh it's probably not a topic like it's probably just an early loss so i made sure we could go talk to her in person she just kind of downplayed it like just go home wait it out like you'll miscarry everything's going to be fine but in the back of my mind i was like everything else just doesn't add up so i was like it's probably this probably is a topic and my husband and I had talked about it and we were prepared for that. But in the meantime, just the waiting was just awful.
0: Yeah, I feel like also how frustrating it is that no one can give you a for sure answer. And if, and the thing is like ectopic pregnancies are incredibly serious and can't, like you said, can be life-threatening if they're not treated properly or they don't properly um, miscarry or your body doesn't properly miscarry itself naturally. So It's interesting to me how they sort of were very nonchalant about what was going on with you.
1: Yeah, I think that's still like probably what's the most frustrating and shocking part of all of it is that they should have taken it more seriously. And I think looking back on it in the moment, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to trust them because they're the medical professional who should know, but at the same time,
0: you kind of know your body
1: well enough. And so you're just freaking out and you're just like, this is not how this is supposed to be.
0: Yeah, I feel like ultimately when it's your body, you kind of have to listen to your intuition because I feel like more often than not, we are so much more correct than anybody else, you know, even a medical professional. Like if you really truly feel in your intuition that something is going wrong, I feel like ultimately you're right or at least right to like keep asking questions.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's like something that, Out of all of this whole process, I now know, and I do trust myself like a thousand times more than a year ago. Um, And that's what I tell my friends who are now trying to conceive is like, trust your gut, like, you know, your body more than this person, like you might trust your doctor and value their opinion. And that's great. But at the same time, you're your own advocate. So if there's something you're not sure of, ask for it and make them look at it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what ended up happening with that pregnancy?
1: So not even a week later, I ended up having to be taken to the emergency room. Uh, So I was sitting at home and I was like in severe cramps. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, "Um, can you just like figure out why this is happening? And so he's Googling like the symptoms of an atopic pregnancy. He's like, does the tip of your shoulder like hurt because I was nauseous I was throwing up and I was like no it's just like really bad stomach cramps it's like the worst period probably I've ever had he goes well maybe you're miscarrying I said, I don't think it's that like nothing is happening I'm just in pain and vomiting and so finally I think two hours passed I tried like a bubble bath I tried heat I tried cool um, I take I took Tylenol none of it was working and we called luckily my other sister-in-law works for a local hospital in the er so she was able to call ahead so that i could get taken back quickly so i ended up in the hospital in the emergency room and the ob there saw me and that's when he said you know based on everything he goes, this looks like it's in the topic he goes luckily your vitals are all stable and it looks like your body can do the hard work we're going to keep you overnight just to make sure he goes but you could be taken for emergency surgery to take your tube and possibly your ovary I just remember looking at my husband and knowing, like, if that happens, our chances of having a pregnancy again diminish significantly. And I just cried. They admitted me, though. And luckily, I did not have to have surgery. So I do still have a tube and the ovary. But even like the next morning, a different medical team, like, they see four OBs come and see you. And my husband looked the lead OB in the eye and was like, hey, was this a topic? Like, is everything okay? Can we expect her to, like, have to uh, come back to the emergency room if things change? And she, like, looked him back in the eye and said, no, we don't think it's in the topic. But then in the discharge paperwork, it said it wasn't the topic. So it was just, like, even then, after being in the hospital, we didn't have answers. They just told us, like, a cyst had ruptured, which is normal, supposedly, according to the medical team. Now I know that's not normal, but They just kept telling me, oh, well, you know, assist forms to help you form the placenta until like your body takes over and yours ruptured. Like now, I know that's not really true to a degree, but I think it's just like everyone was just kind of telling me what they hoped I wanted to hear so that I would quit asking questions.
0: It seems like nobody actually knew what was going on and everybody was on a totally different page.
1: Yeah, so that at that point was like six different OBs that we had talked to and they were all over the
0: place I can't even imagine how you guys felt going through all that and not really having a for sure answer at that time
1: I was like okay well maybe it's not and a topic and it's just you know
0: it was early
1: and I just kept telling myself that but then my husband he was like no this isn't adding up and I think for him because he wasn't even able to like stay with me like he could be with me in the ER but he couldn't stay once I got admitted. Um, So when he came back in the morning, I think for him, you know, we we had just had our wedding reception and we hadn't been married that long. And he told me later, he's like, I honestly drove home thinking like something bad was going to happen to you. And I didn't know if I could be there for you. So I think for him, he was more frustrated. I think I was just trying to survive in the moment. I think he was just the one getting angry for me.
0: Yeah, I can totally understand that. After you had this loss, what did you end up doing next? So
1: about a week later, I did finally miscarry it on my own. And I went back to my main practice and saw my primary OBGYN who I had yet to see. Um, and even he, he just said, like, just keep trying. He goes, you're young. He goes, luckily, you know, you didn't have surgery. Everything should be fine. Like, all your vitals look good. He goes, and the ultrasound looked fine after that so they followed my blood like hcg levels back down until they reached five and like at that point they would like rise and then they would fall then they would rise a little bit until finally they just continued to fall um so i think i had three or four more blood draws especially because i was anemic at the time which makes perfect sense when you've had some so much blood taken from you so he just basically said like we'll see you when you get pregnant again, and just brushed it off. That was mid-August, and then I just decided, you know, like this practice isn't going to listen to me. I know a lot of people love them, and that's great for them. And I started looking into different options in the area, and so in January of 2021, so a year after we had began trying, I found a new OB who listened, actually like heard what I was saying, And so she was the one who kind of ordered more testing and found out more of what was going on.
0: So what did she end up, your new OBGYN, end up discovering?
1: You know, like, let's have what she called a fem view. Some people, I think, call it a saniohistiogram or something like that. And that's basically where they, like, put, like, fluid into your uterus and, like, look at it on an ultrasound so that they can see more like they can see your tubes they can see your uterus and like just make sure everything was healthy and so during that appointment we found out that my right fallopian tube was entirely blocked it wouldn't push any fluid through and so she was the one who recommended she's like you can go to um, a fertility specialist they might clear the tube or you can just stay here and we can do like letrozole and monitor you just within our practice and see if that works. She's like, it's really just up to you. But at least, you know, now I can tell you that your pregnancy was most likely a topic.
0: So she pretty much thought from what she could tell that already, like you did have an ectopic and that's how all of that blockage formed. Yeah, that's actually what my fertility doctor told me as well is that if someone has a blocked tube it's usually due to um, having an ectopic having endometriosis or a sexually transmitted disease so those are like the three and so it's yeah you definitely i'm gonna guess because if you have no none of the others it has to be that one he said you can't just have fluid or blockage for no reason
1: Yeah, and I think so many people don't even recognize that because normally when you think a topic, you think, oh my gosh, you had to go have a major surgery. It's not always the case. Like, because two of our close family friends also have had an atopic within like six months of mine, and they were also different. Like, mine miscarried naturally. One lost their tube and one lost an ovary and a tube. So I think just knowing that and wondering, because I thought, what in the world did I do? Why would I have this when I've been you and I've done all the right things. So it made sense. And I finally, like, appreciated her finding out the answer and telling me, you know, it was a topic and that's why.
0: Yeah, that had to be somewhat relieving just to atle- finally have your answer because you were probably living in this, like, confusing limbo of not for sure having an answer. She recommended that you go see a fertility specialist. So what happened when you went to go see somebody for that?
1: Yeah, so... My husband's cousin recommended her clinic, and so we just got an appointment with the first available because those are so difficult to come by. And at that appointment, my husband could not be with me. It was in March, so luckily we were able, like January, February, March, we had appointments with somebody, and we were very lucky that we could be seen so quickly. So at that time, he kind of just reviewed our history, reviewed all the information from the emergency room and from like my prior OBGYNs, and he just sat down and he just said, you know, once you have a topic, your risk of having another increases pretty substantially. So like what could be a 20% chance is now like a 35% chance. And then after two, it increases again. He was like, so in his professional opinion, he wanted us not to just try to do it on our own, but to really be monitored closely. So we could hopefully avoid that whole process again so he gave us two options he said you know you can do um, letrozole try to force more follicles to grow on your healthy side so on the left side and then do IUI so that way we can like monitor it on ultrasound and just make sure everything's going well he goes or you can just go straight to IVF he goes it's really up to you I would only do recommend you know three rounds of IUI Um, because if it's going to happen, it'll happen, you know, rather quickly. And so we ultimately decided to go with the medication and IUI just because it was more financially, you know, in our realm at the time. And it was like kind of our way of not admitting like that there was more wrong. So we did that. We ended up coming back. We did IUI in April and in May. And so we only did two rounds and then those did not work, um, And so I just sat down with my husband and I was like, this isn't working. Maybe we need to look at IVF. And so we scheduled a consult for IVF in June.
0: So did you ever, before you started the IUIs, mention to your fertility specialist that you were? told maybe you should try to get the surgery to open your tube?
1: Yeah, we talked about that at the consultation, and he he just said, he was like, it's an expensive surgery and a lot of insurances don't cover it, and it's not always guaranteed um, to open it, so we're trying to do, like, the risk versus the reward in that mm-hmm. circumstance, and he was like, you know, with IVF, it's often more affordable because if your insurance doesn't cover the surgery to open your tube it could be like three times as expensive as IVF.
0: I, I have heard that, yeah, the surgery isn't always guaranteed because sometimes it either, um, my sister actually had to get surgery on her tubes. And I think um, both times she did it, it didn't really work much. Um, and sometimes I've heard um, that it can make it worse as well. But I am surprised that he wanted to jump into IUI. Did he say, because I guess I'm not sure, or 100% sure, but is it possible to only make one side ovulate when you do the medication?
1: No. So I think his um... – take on it was if you take this medication like nothing else seemed to be wrong at the time then it could maybe you know just force more follicles to grow and we would monitor it and so the cycle would get canceled if it was on the right side Um,
0: okay that makes a lot of sense yeah
1: so that's kind of how he like presented it to us um he was like my AMH was fine. It was actually a really healthy number. All the other blood work on both myself and my husband was normal. And then that was a way to also get his fertility checked because they always do a sperm wash. And so that would allow his numbers to be checked to make sure that everything was good with him as far as like morphology and all that went. So that's, I think, what his thought process was when he recommended it and you know luckily you know we did two rounds and we did that with a trigger and they both times like it produced the result he wanted there was you know two follicles both times on the left side it just didn't work and so we now have like the tubal infertility and unexplained infertility that we're fighting with because he told us he's like I'm really just shocked that it didn't work it was like everything looks so healthy and so good it's like I just don't know why it didn't work
0: yeah I'm at I feel like I can totally uh feel you on that because that's sort of the same conversation we've had with our doctor as well we started with male factor but we've done two rounds of IVF and it still hasn't worked and so now he's like yeah I don't understand why this isn't working for you because again I'm very healthy and everything's good on my side but we can't figure out why it's not working so I totally understand you with that yeah
1: and I think that's probably the most frustrating thing to ever be told
0: (laughs) yeah you're you almost like I sat there and I
1: just wished I was like you know it'd be great just give me some PCOS or something like we know (laughs) that has a name like obviously I wouldn't want that you know you don't want anything to be wrong but at least you know with some things there's like an explanation and ways to treat it and hope for the best
0: so you did the two IUI rounds how has this process made you feel at like so far at this point?
1: I think for me, like I'm a very emotional person and I think I've always wanted to be a mother. And so this whole process now we're like a whole year into it um, since the loss, literally the loss is coming up in like a couple of weeks. And I think for me, it just, it's made me really jaded. Like things that used to make me happy and I used to get joy from now I find myself like angry like not really I think you know when you see a pregnancy announcement you have that moment of joy and happiness for them but at the same time you're just so sad for yourself and so jealous and in our process my sister-in-law was pregnant with her fourth and delivered a lovely healthy baby and then my sister was pregnant with her second and she found out when I was in the emergency room um and she actually told me that night so I think you know The happiness for them is also the sorrow for yourself. So it's just really changed how, like, I just go about everyday life. Like, it's always on your mind. Um, You wake up thinking about it. You fall asleep thinking about it. And relationships have changed because of that. Because there's a lot of my friends who can't relate, um, who try, but who say the wrong things unintentionally. And then it's like, I shut off from them. And it's just really, you know, frustrating because my husband wants to fix it and he can't. And so those conversations occur all the time. And he is constantly on Google looking for a solution. And I'm just like, you have to let it rest. Like, you know, we have to trust our specialist. You know, your, his cousin got has three beautiful babies from the clinic that we're going to. And I'm like, so we just have to hold on to hope that we get that same result and if not you know we just have to keep trying and he just wants to find that solution so he's like we need to be taking this vitamin and we need to be doing this and eating this food and doing this much much exercise and love him for that but also at the same time I'm just like it's not that's just not it
0: I feel like everything you just said of what you're going through what you're feeling how your husband's handling it is so totally normal going through this journey because I swear, I always hear like, yeah, and my husband, he just feels bad because he wants to fix it. And he feels kind of helpless because it's most of all fertility treatments are basically the woman is taking the brunt of it. So it's hard to like kind of be helpless and not really be able to do much besides just being there for your partner. And, you know, the whole thing with the pregnancy announcements is like you know you feel happy for them but it immediately kind of like flips on you and it feels like a little jab in the heart of like okay when am i going to be able to finally do this you know when can i finally announce my pregnancy and you know there's so many feelings that go through you i feel you on you know like the the anger of you know little things That used to bring you happiness, you're kind of like frustrated with, or you're feeling bitter about things. Like, I totally feel you on that.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's a crazy like limbo to be in. And I think anyone outside of this, you know, they just, they can't understand because I try to explain it to my mom. I'm like, I know you don't mean anything, you know, malicious or, you know, bad when you talk about, you know, my sister and her pregnancy journey. Like, she would want me to be excited for her appointments. And I, you know, I was like, I can't, like, I just can't mentally be excited. Like, I know everything's going well and I'm so happy for her, but I can't sit here and talk about heartbeat and um, how the ultrasound looked and her glucose tests, like, because those are all things that I should be doing Um, because I was in the the middle of the sister-in-law and the sister births, like we were doing March. One was born in February and one was born in April and I got into that. So I eventually just, you know, I'm like, I have to protect me. If that means I make you mad, unfortunately, I'm just going to have to make you mad.
0: Yeah, I, it is so important to set boundaries during your journey because if it really, you know, I even um, have vocalized to friends and family like, hey, don't bring up someone's pregnancy around me as much as you can. It's not that I'm not happy. It's just I have to do this for my mental health. And it's important to you know not have people constantly be talking about someone else's pregnancy it's just hard for that person, and I think somebody who isn't going through it should somewhat have to understand, and if they can't, then I guess that's their problem because ultimately, you're right. It's what's best for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've walked out of rooms and left conversations, and I think now, you know, our my in-laws, because they live, you know, we live near them. Uh, my parents aren't close, and so I think they take the brunt of it, and they For a long time didn't understand, but I've left parties and finally my mother-in-law looked at my husband and was like, I I guess this is really hard for her. Like as she looked around the room for all the kids and pregnant women and she just finally had that aha, aha moment and she just finally has not pushed the boundary anymore. Like she knows she can't talk about it around me They'll stop conversations, and I appreciate it so much because I'm like, hate that we're going through it, and I know that's joyful for you to talk about, but I'm just so glad that you finally realized that it causes me pain and that we can separate those, um, and that's not the only conversation that we have to have.
0: Yeah, and eventually, if you ever feel like you're comfortable being in situations like that, then that's up to you, but it's good to know that they now are somewhat starting to get it after you know how long you've been struggling and clearly seeing that you get upset over these things. Yeah, for sure. So what advice would you give to somebody who is going through similar struggles?
1: I think I would just have to say the most important thing is to just be your own advocate and to just, you know, find little things in life that bring you joy, no matter how small they are, whether that's going on a walk or whether that's, you know, going and getting, you know, queso and margarita on Tuesdays because that's just something that brings you joy and just not overthinking everything because none of it is you know, your fault. Um, I think we as women place so much blame on ourselves and we carry a lot of the weight of these circumstances on our shoulders. And it's okay to not be okay um, and to ask for help and to talk about it if you want to talk about it or to not talk about it if you don't. I think throughout this whole process, I've had every single one of those happen. Um, And for me, I've found, you know, I just need to like close the door and read a book. And, you know, if it's a And it's books that have nothing to do with a pregnancy or anything like that. Um, So I'm very selective, but it's just finding the joy in life. And it's hard because your joy is so taken aback when you're not where you expected you would be in this moment, but just taking it day by day and knowing that, you know, every day, hopefully, you know, will bring you joy regardless of what that looks like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. I think even if, you know, the smallest thing that makes you happy is try to find one thing every day to be grateful for, something that makes you happy that you can do to get your mind off of it is really important. Oh, absolutely. I know for me it's been my dog. Oh yeah. What kind of dog do you have? He is a Jack Russell
1: toy fox terrier mix. So he is ten oh. pounds of oh. <laughs> like spunk and you know love and just all things and you know he's gotten me through it he knows like he knows when I'm having a bad day and he knows when I'm having a good day he'll make me walk him (laughs) when I like just need to
0: be outside
1: and not, you know, feeling sorry for myself. So So
0: after everything you've gone through, what are your next steps? What are you guys planning on doing?
1: So we will be starting IVF. So we had um, our consultation in June. Um, We were able to get an IVF education day because that's what our clinic recommends. Um, So we have a plan um, for when we're ready to move, take that step and move to IVF. Um, So we took the months of like June and July off and we're discussing starting IVF as soon as, you know, the next couple of weeks. I think it's both exciting and terrifying (laughs) to think about. Um, My husband is like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to put your body through this? Like, well, we can wait. Like we can we can wait until you're ready. And I'm like, you know, like I'm my healthiest now. So let's just go ahead and do it. So it looks like we would be beginning the process sometime as early as the next two weeks
0: that's really exciting I know how you feel of like I'm excited but I'm really scared because it's such a big process but it is also just like the craziest thing to go through as a couple and I I think you'll find that it'll even take you guys closer together going through all of that
1: yeah I think you know I think the money aspect aside Like, cause you know, anyone who's considering IVF, you know, unless you're very lucky to have insurance that covers it. And unfortunately where we are, we don't, I think, you know, making it work and just, you know, as a couple, it's made us have those hard conversations of like, what is important to us and how can we make that happen and make the sacrifices. And it's something that, you know, we've been blessed to be able to decide together Um, we've been on the same page because I'm very lucky and my husband knows it's my body and so he's like if this is what you want to do then we will do it and I'll stand by you and support you 100% he goes I just will not give you a shot
0: (laughs) yeah the needles at first are kind of rough to get used to but eventually you'll be a pro at it and it'll be like no big deal
1: yeah I was like I made him watch when I did the trigger shots and he's like are you sure you need me and I'm like I need you for moral support and he's just like his his, like way to get through things is to joke so he's like you're the best at this he's like you're so good you're doing great
0: (laughs) I I said the same thing the first time I ever gave myself an injection I was like I really just need you to be here in case I pass out (laughs) you know because I've never done that before and it I think the you're all in your head when you first do it and then you do it and you're like oh that's not so bad you know
1: yeah it was like the I mean for the trigger shot it was like the biggest the whole day I was like this is all I can think about and he like went he bought ice cream he like made it this big deal and then I did it and I was like oh that wasn't so bad yeah I'm hoping it'll be similar with our process and IVF um, it's a lot more than I thought it was going to be for sure but I'm hoping that it's the right choice and
0: you know, it'll all be worth it. I think whatever feels right is the right choice. So if you want to move forward with that, then that's the right choice for you guys.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that is very true.
0: So well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me and sharing your story. And I hope that someone can connect to either all of it or just a part of it. And it will help somebody feel a little bit less alone on their journey. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. And I appreciate you having me on so that I could talk about it. Of course it was my pleasure. Well Olivia thank you again so much for coming on and bravely sharing your story. For those of you listening who would like to become a guest on the podcast and share your story with infertility, fertility treatments, pregnancy loss and more make sure to send me an email at emily at and I will see you guys in the next episode.